You're listening to Secrets of a Bridal Seamstress podcast. I'm your host, Nadine Bozeman. In this podcast, I'm sharing business systems and strategies specifically tailored to the bridal sewing industry so you can build your own modern and profitable bridal alterations business. Join me as I also get to chat with fellow seamstresses and share their personal success stories. I'm so glad you're here and that we can grow together in this unique trade. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Secrets of a Bridal Seamstress. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for tuning back in after I took a little break. Um, Like many of you, my wedding season has picked up. And so I just wanted to take a step back and plan out future interviews and kind of just get my ducks in a row. You know that feeling once like March hits, it's like what's happening in my life. So... (laughs) Now we're back and we have some great interviews lined up and topics lined up thanks to the feedback that you've been sending me. So we have some really um, wonderful featured guests that you get to hear from in the weeks to come. And I'll also be tackling some uh, business topics that you have sent me like scheduling and blocking time off and um, figuring out if this is a hobby or if this is a true business. We're also going to talk about productivity and how to just get moving even when we don't feel motivated. So some really great topics are coming up. But today, we're diving back into season three with Matt Vanover, and he is the owner of Bard's Clothing. If you follow him on Instagram, I like don't even need to continue this introduction then because he is so great at representing his brand so well on the IG. And what I love about him is that he's built this really unique concept behind his business. So he wants to bring out his clients stories like personal stories through the clothing that he custom makes for them. So it's like this really unique business idea that comes from his love of storytelling, his love of history, and he builds that into his personal brand, which is so cool. So I asked him to come on the show to inspire us bridal seamstresses to think of that individual story as we work with our brides, because Sometimes, you know, we're working with similar dresses on a daily basis, similar love stories on a daily basis, and it can feel like, okay, this is all the same. So Matt's here to encourage us to think of the individual client, and he encourages us with some questions, leading questions that we can ask, um, like the mindset we can get into before our clients even walk in our door. So I'm excited to share that with you. But he also shares his story of how he started his own business, and it's actually like super inspirational. Like... I figured it would be a cool story, but when he shared it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is like tenacity in a nutshell. So he started his custom clothing business in 2020. So let that sink in. Okay, obviously that came with some unexpected challenges and he had to make some changes, maneuver around these uh, unforeseen difficulties, but he didn't give up and he had this integrity built behind the business as that foundation where he wanted to provide quality material, quality work for his clients. And um, even if it took a little bit longer than he had anticipated, he didn't lose that integrity behind the biz. So I don't want to give any more away. I'll let him share his own story. But um, congratulations, Matt, for being the first man on this podcast. So trophies in the mail. Okay. Also, before we get into that interview, I wanted to share something very exciting with you about our next retreat. So we had our first ever seamstress, Secrets of a Bridal Seamstress retreat in Palm Springs in January. And we already have January 2024 planned for you. We have some great keynote speakers. We have a new location, which will be 
announced in a couple weeks. So I'll be emailing you. I'll be posting on social media. We'll obviously have a countdown because it's very exciting. And the most exciting part is that we'll be opening pre-sales with a payment plan. So I know a lot of you were like, oh, I wanted to come, but you know, I think I announced it like, I don't know, November. So it was pretty late in the year. And for a lot of you, you were like, okay, that was way too last minute. And for me, I was linking, okay, I just kind of wanted to, at first I was thinking about my membership and then, you know, we opened it up outside the membership. So this year, um, we just have a, a clearer plan and I'm so excited after how cool this last retreat was. I just cannot wait for this next one. So pre-sales will open, uh, the second week in May. And if you're on my email list, you will be the first to uh, have an opportunity to sign up for this. There will be limited availability, but the biggest thing is you'll have a payment plan. So instead of having to pay in full, you'll have, you know, six months to take care of that bill. And that's the perk of pre-registering. So if you register from May through September, you will be able to get in on that payment plan. And we can even talk about how to set money aside for this retreat and this great business investment. And then if you register anytime between October and December, you'll be paying that um, full price in one payment. So just whatever is easiest for you, but I wanted to give you that little perk. If you've been thinking about it and you're hoping for an easier way to plan ahead financially and also, you know, with your calendar um, and around your family plans and all that stuff, I want to get that date out early. So keep your eyes open. Those details are coming. All right. Well, that's enough rambling from me. Thank you again so much for tuning back in and for giving me grace when I took that little break. I'm just more excited to be back. So let's hear from Matt and, um, yeah, settle in, take some notes. It's a great interview. So welcome um, our first man to the podcast, uh, Matthew Banover. Do you go by Matt or Matthew? Which do you prefer? Um, that's a funny question. I prefer both. Okay. <laughs> um, it's and for all the fans that are going to be like, you know, hitting up your DMs. Do they want to call you Matt or Matthew? We should know these things. <laughs> probably, probably Matt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Pretty chill. And um, you are the owner of Bard's Clothing, which we already know and love. I'm just so excited to hear more about your story and for you to encourage us with how we can encourage our brides in their own love story. It kind of gets muddled when we literally hear about love stories like every single day in our job. So we are seeking um, encouragement and, and clarity from you to kind of refresh our love of the love stories, I guess you could say. <laughs> So that's your job today. <laughs> All right. That's All right. Nice. So tell us about Bars Clothing. Yeah. So, started? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been a long time coming. We've yes. you know, <laughs> we've been trying to make it happen, get off the ground, but I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so it's been like what six months? That that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So highly anticipated. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, so Bard's Clothing is a pandemic baby. I started this company in June 2020 because, well, one of the main reasons I figured, well, the pandemic's only going to last like two weeks. So, <laughs> you know, I should start a business because by the time I'm feeling comfortable, everything's <laughs> done. And here we are, you know, three years later. Um, but I have worked in retail my whole life. I did a short, short stint in hospitality, literally about six months and realized. Oh, I, I can totally see that though. I guess yeah. you coming there, but. <laughs> yeah. So that was the thing. I worked at Express and then I moved from there to Joseph A. Bank. And then 
I decided I also had a job offer from a small boutique store and I figured, let me hit pause on the retail thing. I know I like that, but I also know I like dealing with people. So let me try hospitality. And I went and I did it and I hated it. And oh no. Yeah. But okay, when you say was, hospitality, I'm picturing like a hotel. So what was yeah, the hospitality? I was okay. the front desk at a hotel. And I, it was so good. I have been fortunate enough to have or develop, I'm not really sure, um, the mindset of every no gets you closer to a yes. Like every single time there's a, a bad experience, there's always something to be gained from it. And it was so fortunate to have that experience because I realized what I liked about dealing with people is the developing of the relationship. That to me was key. And at a hotel, the better you know the guests, the less time you spend with them. So we had our regulars that came in every week and the more they came in, the quicker I would try to get them in and out of my site. I, you're already checked in, here's your key, you know your room, blah, 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 it's already stocked, you got your free, everything. And they loved me for making it so quick and simple. Yeah. But I felt like that, what is the point of this relationship? <laughs> But then I was like, oh, no. So what I like is like the oh, ever evolving, learning, yeah. unfolding relationship aspect of this. It's not yeah. just the familiarity. So that was like huge for me to go there. Um, yeah. And I mean, I was only there for about five. Yeah, about five months. And then I moved over to a boutique store and I was there for about four and a half years. and then. Uh, COVID happened. We all got quarantined. It was during that time that I was really focusing on, I need to make this business happen. I'd, I'd wanted to leave for a while. And it, there was such a time of time was so on everybody's mind, you know, the time we have now during yeah. quarantine that it was like, oh my, yeah, duh, no, I need to make this happen. Like we all only have one life. We never know what's going to happen. So I quarantine ended. I went back to work for about two or three weeks and I gave my notice. I was like, I'm leaving and I quit and then started Bards. So I needed to try to make everything happen. Yeah. All at once. When you say you started Bards, like, what does that mean? Did you just start like designing shirts for people? Did you like get the warehouse and the, like, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So I, Bards has been a baby for a long time. I've been trying to, I've been kicking around this concept of a store of a business since early 2018, trying to develop it in some way. And um, then in 2019, I had this whole business plan put together and I was actually pitching to investors for this store of the future. And it was going to be this awesome thing. And I was asking for $1.27 million. And I was going to start oh. this whole thing. And it was, yeah. You're already in Shark Tank, though. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, I was so fortunate that a lot of my clients were these high net worth investors. Wow, that is so cool. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So I made all these pitches. Yeah. And I heard just no, 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 no. And the last time I heard no was January, 2020. And I was like, all right, maybe- A little this month for many of us. 
<laughs> I was just like, maybe this isn't going to happen. And that's kind of a bummer. And then three months later, COVID yeah. happened. And I was yeah. just like, thank God, nobody gave me any money. So what I basically did was took my business plan and just stripped it down to bare bones and said, well, how can I still make the dream happen with what's important to me? And what was important to me was custom clothing. Mm-hmm. What was important to me was made in America and relationships. So how can I still make this work? So I looked at all the factories and decided only use the ones that were made in America. And then what I realized is I could get back to a time where all clothing was made on demand. Mm-hmm. So, and people didn't have stores. Everybody used to have their person down the road, their guy down the road. I have my cobbler, I have my dressmaker, I have my this. So I said, well, let me get back to that. And that'll be kind of part of the unique selling point of my company, but also it's good for business because I'll have no inventory, no, no, nothing. I'll make everything on a case by case basis. Customers will pay me a deposit. I'll make it. And then um, we'll keep the relationship going. I'll grow the business that way. And so I realized I could start a business with no money, no anything. Um, I didn't really have a client list because my last store, it was a family owned boutique and I wasn't trying to bridges or anything. So I just said, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving. If, if any customers want to come, they can come. Um, and then I just, yeah, I just jumped ship and I, I have a very burn the boats mentality. If I want to make it work, I have to land on the beach, burn the boats behind me. So the only way I can go is forward. I don't, I don't yeah. want a safety net or anything like that. Yeah. Cause as you're talking, I'm like, okay, this is all happening after you quit the job, the day job. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm following. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I wanted to really just go for it. But at the same time, I knew that, um, my former, boss wasn't happy. So I didn't want to have any overlap between the existence of Bards and my time there. So I, I had everything. I knew what I was going to do, but I needed to make sure, okay, I need to quit my job on Monday and then that'll take two weeks. And then on Friday, I should file the paperwork. So that way it's done by the next Monday. Like I had it whole worked out in my head And it's so, one of the craziest things is when I tell people the story of how the last three years has gone, people are like, you're out of your mind. (laughs) And it's, when I think back to what it was like in it, it was just, that's what I was doing. I, you know, it just made sense back then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about hearing about like how people start up their business or get things going. And for some people it's like, okay, I had to keep my day job and just work like crazy at night, you know, in the basement at home to get it off the ground or like, or I just quit and I just want to start the thing. Like, um, Katie Grimes has a similar story where she's like, Oh, I just want to start the thing. And then she did. And she made like a quarter million dollars her first year. It was like, okay, like, like how people go about it is is just so cool. Like how your personality fits your roadmap. You know what I mean? And how you get to where you are. It's like, yeah, I, um, made, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it definitely is. It's one of my favorite things ever. I have always been obsessed with interviews. Like I, yeah. 
I absolutely worship. I'll, I'll listen, read, watch anything that has to do with somebody's life story because mm-hmm. of, of that. I want to see and how that's where the history buff it. came in, right? Aren't you a history buff? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a history buff. I'm <laughs> I love that. that but I, you know, I definitely think I'll be I'll be more candid with you than I usually am. Um, the the first year of Bards was not good. Uh, mm-hmm. One because there was still a lot of COVID. Of course, we were going through um, lockdowns. There was like the second and third lockdown oh, that we were yeah. going into. You know, um, the restrictions. So it was like, oh wow, like I really can't. Like I, yeah. I literally can't make a sale because I can't right. go to people's houses. And I think um, also, like at that time, people there was no end in sight as for like the work from home thing. So like, you know, wearing your cute like blazer or whatever and sweats was definitely like the unforeseen future. <laughs> That's all yeah. people were going to be wearing. So it was like, where are your clients going to come from? You know, yeah, <laughs> figuring out who that was. My, uh, my former store actually had a non-compete. I had a non-compete with them, which I didn't fully know about. Um, that's a different story, but yep. decided to get enforced to the full extent of his capabilities. And what that meant was the manu- the main manufacturer that I was using, I could no longer use. And that was going to be a price point of about $3,000 for a suit. So I couldn't use them anymore, which was unfortunate because I had developed a good relationship with them. Yeah. Three weeks prior to that, So a week after I had started Bards, I had one customer who was like, you're the guy, I want to follow you. I made a big sale with him. He decided, I don't want this. And I had no receipts. I had no nothing because I was a new business. He just walked away, stuck me with a bill for $30,000. And then a few weeks later, um, I was told that this non-compete was going to be enforced. And the factory I was using, I couldn't use them anymore. And then I had to find a new company to make clothing. And there's pretty much nobody in America that does it. So I found a true bespoke pattern maker and cutter in Brooklyn. And his garments, I mean, my garments were now going to start at about $8,500. Just for like a two-piece suit, just run of the middle two-piece suit was going to start at about $8,500. So I had a crazy amount of debt. Um, I couldn't operate within 15 miles of where I've lived for 30-something years. I couldn't contact any customer, any friends, any family. So because you're that much of a threat. Oh, but that's really what it comes down to. That is crazy. Oh, my goodness. And then about a year into that, well, not, yeah, about a year into that, my Longtime girlfriend and I ended up breaking up. And so then I had to move and then all my expenses went up. So I had debt, no customers, an unsellable product. And I it was just really sad because it was COVID. So then you were like super yeah. sad. And then it was COVID also. So <laughs> I just stuck with it and uh, you know, one customer at a time, just kind yes, of yes. my way through it. One customer at a time, one side job at a time one you know i'm not above i was working at michael's i was working at delivering pizzas i was doing everything you know yeah yeah. what helped me was listening to all these interviews for years 
about all these actors who were like, I was waiting tables and then I got the call for friends. And, you know, I, I was on my last $5 and then I landed, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, that's like what it is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is that day by day. And like the, the word of mouth, I think like the power of the word of mouth is like so often overlooked because it's like, it just takes one person. And then you look back like, a year or two later and you're like, Oh my goodness, how did I get here? Well, it came from like those first, just that first customer telling somebody else. Like, that's what I feel like with like my bridal clientele, you know, as much as you hear about like, Oh, Google ads or, you know, social media, really it's like the power of the word of mouth. And that like personal testimony is huge. So, Oh my goodness. Cause yeah. that was okay. Cause that awful year was, was it 2020 or 21? 2020 spilling into 2021. Yeah. And then yeah. when did you start like gaining traction? Like, okay, this, this is actually working. We're getting somewhere. About late 2021, I had mm-hmm. done a couple of big uh, garments. And the other difficult part about my, my business model is I have no product. So I have nothing to show, nothing to advertise yeah. until somebody buys something. Mm-hmm. So that was difficult. But then finally, once I just kind of lurched and got a couple clients, I'm really good at everything is content. I video everything. So that, you know, one garment, I'll get three, four months out of content from like <laughs> everything. So I was just like, all right, I gotta, I gotta, you know, show it from a different angle, show it from this, yes. show, show a different part of it. So then the Instagram started to take off. And then it's funny because like being a part of the stitched collective community really helped. And I started following people like Rosalie who were just killing it on Instagram. And I was yeah. like, I need to do this. I, I, I feel like an idiot, but whatever it's working, it's clearly working for them. <laughs> so I need to get out there and like lip sync and do all this. And so I did and (laughs) I had to take off. And then I started doing more. uh, I I definitely had to like kind of swallow my business pride. And I was like, I need to just get product in people's hands and Mm -hmm. I will tell them it's, this is what it costs. And honestly, what it did was I was basically just asking for something to cover my costs. I took losses on sales. I broke even on sales. There was a lot of garments that I made where I made no money, but I was like, it, whatever it's out there. Yeah, and I, yeah. Now they can refer it. And they had the experience of they paid full price for that. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, it's a totally different experience when people feel like they're getting a favor. So yeah. I just need to treat it like, yo, uh, you know, this is what it is because I don't talk about my prices really ever online because with my, with everything being custom, if I say I make custom suits, people and they're 35, $4,500, people automatically bring into their mind some preconceived notion. Mm-hmm. Whereas I make yeah. custom clothing for your lifestyle, mm-hmm. maybe a $4,500 jacket fits. We'll just have to find the right fabric. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep that conversation very open yeah. um, and not talk about price or anything. So yeah, 2021 was huge. Cause then also restrictions started lifting weddings 
started. The tough part about 2020 was that a lot of people's weddings, they weren't sure what they were doing. When's it going to happen? When's it getting moved? In the backyard or is my venue going to be opened up? Like, So then once people started getting back to their normal weddings, that was huge. I did like five or six different groom outfits. Wow. Yeah. And finding people finding me on Google. I remember the first couple of people that booked appointments with me. I would like Google them, like who, like what, like how did you find me? Like, <laughs> I was just like, how is this so exciting? Yeah, I like even went to their house, like looking around. I was like, is this a trap? Like, who are you? How do you get my name? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because I yeah. forgot that you go to their home for the measurement. So, so, um, really briefly, like, tell me what is like the process, like what you do with the client and then where you send that information and like, then how do they get the finished results? So I, um, go to, I have, I have my car and that's it. That's my story. I, uh, I drive to my clients' homes or offices and I bring stuff like this. It's, uh, like a fabric book. And then I'll bring, there's fabrics from all over the place. So I, I had a big problem with uh, store retail because it always felt limiting. A customer walks in and they see the options and yes, there may be a best option on the wall. But that best option is just presented to you. Like, these are the options I'm giving you. You pick your favorite. Whereas I wanted to open it up even more. So I contacted some of the best fabric houses in the world and said, let me carry your fabrics. So now I have a wide range. So now the best is really the best choice. Like, you're seeing everything. It's not... What I think is the best. It's not what I think might be good. It's not what I think would sell. I'm presenting you with the options. So I've got fabrics from Italy, fabrics from England, fabrics from uh, France, uh, fabrics from America, kind of all over for different vibes, different feels. They all have a. You're not sacrificing, like, even when things were kind of like scary in like 21, like you didn't sacrifice the quality that you wanted to present. I love that. And you weren't afraid of investing in that because it's like you see the long-term goal. You never wanted to sacrifice that integrity of the product. Like that is so cool. And that's like really, um, that's like really brave. So I love that. Keep going. Thank you. Yeah. I, I knew that since my, values are story and integration. I knew that I needed to stick to my guns. It would, it would have been so much easier. And I know the companies that I could sell a garment for five, six, $700. And I was just like, I just don't want to do that. It would be a fun and flashy experience, but it's just, it, I don't, that's not what I value. That's not what I present to my customers. So I got the fabrics and then I looked for the garment maker. I found uh, a place in Brooklyn to make my garments. I found a factory in um, New Jersey to make my shirts. That's where this shirt is from. 
And so I just started hacking away at it, one shirt at a time, sometimes four shirts at a time for customers, and then one garment at a time, and then uh, slowly just building that up. And so what happens is I go to the customer's house, I bring all the fabrics, all the lining, and it really starts with a conversation. Mm-hmm. I just want to hear about you. And there's a there's a preliminary conversation that I have with customers before I go because if you tell me that your favorite store is Joseph A. Bank, like we're not gonna overlap. Um, I don't really have anything for you. Um, I, I try to do. You graduated from Joseph A. Banks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I try to. You know, it happens. Like I get calls every week and people tell me, oh, I found you online. And I ask, you know, where do you normally shop? Oh, well, I go to Saks off fifth. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, my prices uh, are like triple that. So I don't think, and plus you're, you're looking for a deal. Like I'm not, I don't care if you buy 10 suits, I'm not cutting a deal or anything. Like this is what I do. So I take all the measurements and from there I send the measurements to my makers and they draft individual patterns for my customer. So everything is made for the individual customer. There's no kind of templates or anything. It, it's a very, it's a hybrid between bespoke and made to measure. Okay. And um, a lot of, there's, there's no word in the fashion world, maybe, maybe it's tied, um, sustainability and bespoke. <laughs> Those are the two most bastardized words in our industry. And because everybody wants it to be one thing, but it's not. And I mean, true bespoke clothing is one tailor measuring you, selling you the fabric, sewing it together, doing every single fitting that pretty much does not exist. Yeah. Even if you go to Savile Row or something, there's mm-hmm. other people coming in. They're getting fabric from somewhere else. Like that, yep. the process just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But everybody wants to say that that's what their product is. Mm-hmm. I try to take a stance of, well, we're an innovative next step of bespoke. Mm-hmm. So I have fabrics that are. Well, I have two garments. I can do a true bespoke where somebody is um, hand cutting and hand chalking and drawing out your pattern, or I can do more of a made to measure where uh, the fabric is cut by a laser and um, it's actually drafted on a pattern on a computer and then it's sewn together by hand. So there's two different price points that I mean, drastically thousands of dollars of difference of price between those two garments. But that's why I try to talk to the customers about like right. who are you, what is what is valuable. Right, right. And I just I I really put so much of my process on them. Like they're going to tell me what they want through this conversation, not just I want a navy suit. Right, right. They're going to tell me plays like align with your brand and your brand ethics, but then they have the final say, and then they know what kind of experience they want throughout the whole process too. Like, I think that's really cool that you give them options. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big thing to me because so many times the conversation starts one way they're telling me this is the thing I want. And then we end up over here. Yeah. because a lot of them have never been asked these questions that I'm asking. Right. Them. 
A lot right. of them come in and say, they just, they have all this money to spend. And the salesperson says, well, this is the best thing that you can get. So get it. Yeah. So there's no, there's no why behind it. Yeah. Better isn't always best. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. that's very, that I try to make that forefront. Mm-hmm. Like I can give you the best fabric. That is not what you need. And so we yeah. try to work our way to the level of fabric that they need. The best fabric is usually the most delicate. So if you tell me that you're on the road traveling all the time, you don't need that fabric. You need something more durable yeah. that breathes. That's yeah. to get beating. So that's, <laughs> you know, if you get a fabric, if you get a pair of pants from me, that's the best fabric in the world and you rip it the second time you wear it, who does that help? That doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. Neither of us are happy. Yeah. If I give you a pair of pants that look amazing and will adapt to your lifestyle and business. Yeah. And I'm hearing like, as you're thinking of like your client's lifestyle and you're becoming more individual, like this storytelling is kind of coming to life. So how has your brand really focused on like the storytelling portion of the clothing? I have. Oh, my whole life I've been told I'm a good storyteller. And I think most of that comes from me usually just being the loudest person in the room. <laughs> so I have, <laughs> I've tried to actually hone that into a skill mm-hmm. because I recognize that it wasn't that before. Just because everybody can hear your story doesn't make it a good one. Right, true. Um, We've so, all been, we're like, wrap it up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I decided, all right, I need to focus on this. And I just really poured myself into reading books on stories, watching movies, like doing whatever I could to dissect how to tell a story, what goes into a good story, all of it, every feature, every aspect of it. It's more than just beginning, middle and end. It's a, yeah. it's it's oftentimes the best stories come down to moments and what I try to get out of people is what are the moments you live for? Like what are the moments that you feel the most confident in your clothing? Are you on stage presenting? Are you walking? So my job then became how do I, hear about those moments. Back in my old stores, a lot of times people would come in and say, I need a suit for work. And I would get them a suit for work. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? A suit for work? Mm -hmm. You know, like then I started to realize, oh, that's the, that's the big story, a suit for work. I, I need a suit. We're actually meeting with uh, a new company that we're pitching to and we're hoping that they buy us. So we, I need to know, okay, so you need to look slick. You need to look sharp. You don't want to look too flashy. You, okay. That's I'm starting to uncover the, the, the message that you want to send. You know, I have some uh, clients who are financial investors. What they do is, you know, they sit with their clients and their clients tell them, I want to retire by 62 and I've got this much money and I kids in college and whatever. And I ask them, what do you want your clients to feel? And sometimes they're like, I want my clients to just feel comfortable because it's a very uncomfortable process to be financially vulnerable and say, this, these are my dreams. And yet when I look at the paper, 
it doesn't reflect it. That's a very uncomfortable state to be in. So some of my friends and clients, they were like, I just want people to feel comfortable. So I'm like, okay. So we don't want pinstripes and plaids and all this. We want the plaids. <laughs> we don't need huge couplings with like dollar signs. <laughs> so okay, there's so many details that we can kind of do to bring your presence down. So that was really what the design came through. And I I try to talk a lot about on Instagram and with my clients, like. Design is more than just sitting over a piece of paper and sketching something out. Design comes in. You want these pockets over these pockets. You want this shoulder pad over this shoulder pad. Like these are the right choices to create the garment you want. And so Mm -hmm. my design comes much more fluidly and naturally from the client rather than just sitting there and like, I'm, I don't tell it like, oh, I envision you in this and blah, blah, blah. No. And that's what some people think that I do. And I'm like, no, even if I could, and even if you would pay me to do that, I wouldn't. Yeah. So what do you feel like people in these interactions, what do people need most throughout the process? Is it like they want the the confidence in their own skin, what they're wearing, or do they want more like, do they want to feel a certain way? Like biggest area for improvement in most people is direction because clothing is so available and because we live such fast paced lives, we just buy and buy and buy and buy. And we never set a path of this is where I want my clothing to take me. This is where I, I want to go in my life. We have a issue of aligning the facets of our lives because we all wear clothing every single day. We often just don't think about it. It's subconscious. You know, we know what we like, we know what we don't like, Yeah, but we don't, we don't understand the power that it wields and that we can actually use um, to our advantage. So when I talk to customers, I'm like, okay, like, let's, let's just pause. What have you been buying? Do you mm-hmm. like it? Do you know what you've been buying? <laughs> real- the basics. Do you like yeah. it? <laughs> like, let's just look at the past first. And people tell me, oh, we'll go in. Uh, this is why I love going to people's clients because we actually go to their closet and they'll mm-hmm. pull out. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I got this, but it doesn't fit. And I got this for my stupid friend's wedding. I'm not even friends with them anymore. And I got this because I was a plus one. And, you know, they pull out all these things they don't like, but yeah. their closet's packed. So mentally, they're like, I don't need anything else because mm-hmm. I have so much clothing. But in reality, they have nothing. So I'm like, let's just let, unpack it all. Like, let's take it out. Yes, and then yes. They'll sometimes they'll take out a shirt that's just stains all over and whatever. And they're like this, I love this shirt. It fits me the best. I know I can't <laughs> because there's a hole and but it just fits me the best. I'm like, okay, well, what do you, what, what about it? The length, the sleeve, the fit, the material, what about it? Do you love like, Oh, well, I just love it. Cause it goes with everything. You know, it's, I'm like, okay, cool. So like now we're getting somewhere. We mm-hmm. we're getting to how you want to dress. So when I start to do that, people, people realize, oh, okay, my, my wardrobe is almost like my finances. I need to constantly check in 
You got to circle back. You can't just buy in a forward, upward momentum. You have to check back and say, okay, well, I don't work at that job anymore. I don't need the clothing that I got for that job. Let me get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I'm a different weight. Let me get rid of it. I have different values. You know, there's, I have plenty of my friends who, um, they love telling me about this made in America shirt that they got and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm yeah. like, so where'd you get the pants? And they're like, Shein. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how are you, <laughs> how are you doing this? Like, yes, I don't yeah. understand how you're, how you're mentally, <laughs> you know, bridging these two worlds. So yeah. um, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I just, I can't replace it. I'm like, okay, whatever. As long as you just speak it out to the universe, get it out there that you know you have to replace those pants and mm-hmm. work toward it. Yeah. Like that's start to set this plan. So direction is the biggest room for improvement that people get because mm-hmm. I also deal with high net worth clients where they're not, they don't necessarily, money's not the issue. Mm-hmm. If they want it, they'll get it. But that, yeah. that's the issue. If they want it, they'll get it. And then they end up with a closet of just, I don't even know what the, all this stuff is. How do we make a concise wardrobe? You know, how do we make, how do we make uh, you, I like to say that I want my clients to be able to get dressed in the dark. They mm-hmm. know that everything works with everything because yeah, a, lot so of, cool. a lot of times, I don't know if women really have this as often, but with men, our sleeve lengths change all the time. So we wear certain jackets with certain shirts the, because it's going to be too much cuff. It's going to be too low cuff. So that's so limiting. If I have to constantly remember, well, this jacket goes with these three shirts and this jacket goes with these three shirts. Yeah. And then, so it's like, that's how so many people's wardrobes are set up. And it's like, all right, now how, you need to know that every single shirt goes with every single jacket. Maybe it doesn't material wise. And from a style point, it doesn't, but fit wise, you're consistent. Every single thing fits you across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very um, intentional. Like every step and every part of your conversation is very intentional. And the whole process. And I really like that. It's not just like, okay, give me your money. And if the number's high enough, then I'll, you know, take the thinking off your plate and I can make the decisions for you. It's like they're part of every decision. So when I'm thinking of like our bridal seamstress audience, generally, you know, we're working on like one outfit, you know, the one dress and um, to be worn one day, maybe sometimes like the bridal put the dress back on for photos or whatever. So how can we use this philosophy when we're fitting a dress that's already been purchased? You know, we don't have any control of like where it's made or how it's made, but how can we, um, I guess like encourage that like storytelling or the individuality with these brides when we see so many of the same kind of clients, the same kind of dresses, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Well, let me ask you first, what are some of the questions that you ask your brides? Like a new bride who just came in? What's Mm -hmm. So I have a form that they fill out, you know, before we even move forward, like their inquiry form. I ask them um, 
what they love most about the dress, what they want their family and friends to notice first when they're walking down the aisle, um, what part of their bodies are they most confident in? Is there a part of their bodies that make them feel more self-conscious? So that kind of gives me a heads up of their mindset, I guess, around the dress and around themselves too. Um, so that's before they get in the door. And then when they put the dress on, you can even just see their body language of what they're reaching for, what they're touching or, um, and then I always feel bad when they buy like a strapless dress and they just keep doing this. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> like yeah. this is, this is going to be open like the whole day and night. So yeah. So that's kind of my start. Yeah. That's, that's good. I, thinking about this question, I, what came to mind is I would focus very much on what their experience, what their, what's their relationship with weddings and dresses? You know, was there a wedding you went to where the dress looked amazing? Like what were their friends that you have that just knocked it out of the park? Were there experience that your friends went through that you don't want to happen? Like yeah, yeah. Bring, bringing in their real world experiences with weddings and with relationships, because for so many girls, this is, this is such a focus of their lives. And yeah, yeah. they've been infused with this is the biggest day and whether or not it is, that is a thing. And whether or not they yeah. agree with it, it yeah. is a thing. You know, I, that's, that to me is, has been so influential about understanding. I, this goes back to every no gets you closer to a yes. I don't care if you don't think you have a sense of style you still have a sense of style. Mm. You still have a relationship with clothing. I am not a cook and yet I eat every day. I know, <laughs> what, I like, yeah. I know what I don't like. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a cook. I'm not an architect. And yet I know I like farm style over modern. Mm. I, like there are so many things in this life that we are not in that we still have a relationship with so some a bride might come to you and be like yeah this is just oh my god i just hate it because it's all been like you know bride 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 the dress was just and i just don't want to be a part i of never that. dressed up like I, I don't even wear dresses like i never wear dresses exactly so okay yeah. so cool like that that is such a huge bit of information huh? okay, so like how do i make you comfortable how do i get you back to your baseline like yeah. you're you're in your extreme uncomfortable like how do i get you back here so i think the biggest thing is really understanding what what's all the baggage that they're bringing into this mm -hmm. and making it less um matter of fact you know what i like i like i do really like the what do you want your friends and family to say about you like on the day yeah. that i love i think that that's a huge part of this but a, a part that will flesh that out is what did some of your friends go through when they got married or what was a wedding you saw in a movie or film? Cause I mean, we yeah. all go to weddings and we make a mental list like, well, I hate this silverware. And like, I, I don't yeah. want, this. you know, so like, 
<laughs> Did you ever watch the show Four Weddings on TLC? <laughs> that was the worst. That was so I love that one because it was like, ooh, and then you would like keep track of the numbers and then... Ooh. Uh, but the, uh, the reruns are still on, I don't know, some platform and it's yeah. super entertaining because it's like, you know, early 2000s. So it was like the glory days of weddings, golly. But I love what you're getting on to because, oh, it just left me. Um, oh, um, sometimes, especially when a bride is really having a hard time, like communicating, like she just is like clearly very uncomfortable and it's like, she cannot get the words out. So I'll ask like, what is one word that you could use to like describe how you want to feel. And so it can be like, I want to feel beautiful. I want to feel chic. I want to feel sexy. I want to feel playful. Like they, when it's something almost like tangible, like not necessarily how you're going to look, but how do you want to feel? And when you can just get it to one word, then it's like, okay, so you don't want to feel sexy. So let's go ahead and do something with that mesh plunge that's happening or whatever. And then it's kind of like working backwards like that. Maybe the thing that's making you feel uncomfortable because there's so much being revealed and sexy wasn't your keyword. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That, I, those are all huge. I, I vote one of my sales tactics is just get something out there for them to have a reaction, even if it's not what I want. It just puts the ball into play, like yeah. getting them to open up about something. You know, maybe, maybe it's. Oh, this dress. Yeah. Oh, you're going to look so sexy in this dress. And maybe they're like, that's not what I want. Okay, cool. Do it. I got you to tell me what you want. Yeah. You know, yeah. Getting them into play and getting them to just really kind of break that down. Um, and I, yeah, since everybody coming to you has pretty much the same reason for being there mm -hmm. it is what what's the why behind how they got to this dress what's the why behind how they got to who they brought to that fitting like yeah all of those i think are very important and very informative and they'll also make your clients feel safe and know that you're there for them and every choice you make is informed based on the experiences they've told you. Yeah. Because a lot of times our clients don't know the right string of words to use to convey what they want, but mm -hmm. they don't have the experiences that informed that choice. I saw my friend just uncomfortable on their wedding day and, you know, okay, they un uncomfortable, uncomfortable fit, uncomfortable look, like uncomfortable what, you know, and then you're going to sew something up and say, you know, this is to make you more comfortable. That way you could dance right. and hug people over the table, you know, mm -hmm. right there is a big connection. And they're, yeah. they're very trusting that, okay, you know, Nadine and whoever else they know, what I'm coming here with. And it, that also makes the experience very individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, because it can feel sometimes to us like a little bit mundane. Cause it's like, okay, you, you can think of everybody being in the same category or like just another bride or just another dress. Blah, blah, blah. And so these questions that you're sharing and just things to focus on breaks up that mundane work and like seeing every client as like the same 
like ICA or like, you know, and I'm, I'm all for like, oh yeah, know who your ideal client is. But then when we treat them all the same or kind of box them in, it's like, we lose um, the intentionality of the yeah. fitting. Yeah. It's almost like I have a nephew who's 19 now. And I remember what it was like going through those seven or eight years of, do you have your license yet? Do you have your license yet? Do you have your license yet? Mm-hmm. Where are you go? Where are you applying? Where are you applying? Where are you applying? Where are you applying? Where'd you get in? Where Where are you going? Yeah. Where are you going? Yeah. What are you going to major in? Where you, so yeah. it's that's almost what yeah bridal seamstress is kind of like. These mm-hmm. are all necessary questions that have to be asked. But yes, more like you know, big school, small school, like you know, things that are like getting to you the as individual. A, yeah, you know, individual. Yeah the experience, but I always really like open-ended questions because I want to have a conversation. I don't, mm-hmm. I try to make this, if I have to go from question to question and you feel of that, I, I'm embarrassed. Yes. I, you know, I want this to feel like a complete another conversation. We're naturally going through this and the entire time I'm gaining information yeah. and usually more information because it's the information you are willing to share with me not mm-hmm. that i'm forcing you to share with me yeah that yeah. and that's so much more valuable uh in the long run than just you know the 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 pointed interview question that needs to be asked mm-hmm. so how do we become better listeners? Is it having like these open-ended questions, like you said, or, and I know I'm definitely one to like fill the space. So if it's, if they're quiet, I'm like, and I just like (laughs) talk at them. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be awkward or quiet. And then, you know, like I have my playlist going and it's like, so I can, I know that I can struggle with that. So like, how can we listen when we're tempted to just like talk at them or, you know, rattle off the interview questions? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm if I'm ever with a client who um, is difficult to break the ice with or something, Mm -hmm. I usually will say, hey, I have to ask these questions as a formality. And that kind of helps with I'm letting them know that there's something bigger coming. Mm -hmm. And so what that usually like turns into is what brings you in today? What are you looking for? What do you want your friends and family to say about you? You know, what, what got you dressed? And then it might turn into like, okay, gosh, we got the, you know, doctor's form out of the way. Yeah. You know, but like you know, the, I would, I would then turn it into naming one thing about the dress that you've noticed, you know, the color, the sleeves, and something yeah. like, oh, like, I love that you did sleeves. And then mm-hmm. they'll start opening up about the dress. And then it's, Where'd you get it from? Why'd you get yeah. it from? What, you know, it, then it, the, it just snowballs. But I, I found that having more of a conversational string of Absolutely. asking questions helps the listening because then it is so much more natural for me to repeat back information. Yeah. And that helps me. It actually sink in, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I, definitely one of those people who's not great with names, but I work at it. Like mm-hmm. I'll, 
know your name and then I'll say it three or I four think it makes it more sweaty than being put in the spot of like having to say somebody's name. Like when you have to introduce somebody and you're like, yeah. and this is Matt and this is, I don't know who you are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is help me out. Uh, yeah. Sometimes no, I, I just stand there and yeah, intro, yeah, I get one person out and then whatever. Well, something that came to mind is I love asking about their dress shopping experience. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. dress shopping because then you learn like, okay, are they the bride that bought the first dress they put on or did they have to go to seven stores and then everything was just like this white blob by the end of the week, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is what I'm working with is somebody who, you know, shopped for four months for their wedding dress or whatever. So that's kind of telling, but I love that. Like just remembering to ask those questions that encourage them to tell a story, whether it's like how they got the dress or a memory from another friend's wedding or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, um, I, I'll, I'll often talk about a friend of mine who wore a garment and something happened, you know, mm -hmm. I, a friend of mine just gave this huge presentation, you know, oh, you're having a destination wedding. One of my friends, they actually, I made a suit for him and he had to travel here and it was awesome. And, you know, uh, looking for this and they might say, yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. Cause I also went to a a destination wedding and the dress they chose was clearly bought in New York and then they got married in Puerto Rico. So it yeah. didn't, you know, they didn't consider how hot it would be down there. So like all I just, those conversations are a give and take. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost like a going back to the vulnerability. It's almost like a bank. Like I'm going to deposit something and now you're going to deposit something. Like mm -hmm. I want to tell you a little bit about myself and you're going to tell me a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Mm -hmm. And we're going to both make these deposits into this trust bank mm -hmm. and it's a give and take. And that way, if I need to repeat information, I can make a withdrawal. Like I often will say, so going, uh, I don't, I try not to say, so going back to, but I'll say, so you bought that dress in here, you know, because and relay back whatever information they told me. I'll, I would say 60% of the time, if I relay back why somebody bought something, they will tell me, you know what? I never really thought about that. That's not why I bought that. They'll mm -hmm. tell you, I bought a black suit because I needed a black suit. And I'll be like, yeah, so, you know, you got this black suit because it was essential. And they'll be like, I've worn that thing like three times. It's not essential. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, so. Well, <laughs> um, but even like for a, a, like, even my weddings, I try to ask people, why do you want to buy? Why do you want to buy? Why do you want to make something? Why? What? about all the clothing on all the racks that you've ever seen makes it not worthwhile. And mm -hmm. they often say, because they want to feel a part of the process. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now I stay informed. I tell them much more about me and my process and how I'm going to do that. And then they, I'm like, well, what about like, so why'd you get involved in the process? Like, um, why is that important to you? And then they tell me about their life story, about how they tinkered with stuff back when they were kids. And yeah. you know, it makes that experience so much more individual because then I'll send, sometimes I'll send photos of the garment being made to that customer. I'm like, look, you'll love this. Yeah. You know? They might like that. They might like 
the fabric being made, um, you know, for you, if somebody likes to be a part of the process, you tell them about why you're doing this alteration. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of brides who don't care. They're paying you to make them look good. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes just leave the pictures in between appointments out of the equation. So then you're yeah, sometimes they're not about that, but that's, that's the beauty of how to make it an individual experience. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think we're seeing just this bigger wave of boutique service seamstresses or independent seamstresses who want to make it more of a fulfilling experience instead of just like, hey, drop it off, pick it up at your next fitting. It's like, you know, you're building that relationship. I usually see my brides at least three times, you know, and I'm sure I could crank it out in two fittings, but it's like, it would just be so different. I don't know. Um, and so how to make it something just as memorable as, oh, when they were like, you know, doing their cake testing or when they were actually doing the dress shopping or like decorating the venue or like all these other things that are such like pivotal moments of their wedding planning. Like I want the fittings to be that memorable experience too. Like when brides cry, when they leave, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. dust. It's just because it's like, okay, I did more than just like doing the sewing. And that's why I got into this in the first place, you know? So, and I, I think I know this year is already like super intense for so many people. And so I'm really excited to get this episode out and like encourage the seamstresses to like take your time and think about these little you know, the the little questions, little details to make it that memorable experience instead of just a, another appointment to check off the list, you know? Right. And I think, a, I think a big part of it is also knowing your brand. Like, are they coming to you just because you're a highly rated seamstress on Google or are they coming to you because of the brand you represent on Instagram or this? Is there common ground we can get there? Why? Why did you choose me over these other seamstresses? Right, you know, right. All of mm-hmm. that is, it's very much going to make it an individual experience. And you'll always want, at the end, I knew I made the right choice. Like, this is why yeah. I chose you. You you see it. You know, you made this happen. Um, I don't think this other seamstress would have seen that, you know, or understood that. Mm-hmm. That They're, they're going to tell you that stuff. So, yeah, it, it also comes from really knowing your brand, why you do what you do. Yeah. Um, that might know. be podcast episode part two. So we'll have yeah. to scroll that out too. Exactly. In another six months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we'll definitely do it sooner. sooner. <laughs> Okay, so where can people find you? Obviously on the IG. It's yep. thing, right. And this will all be in the show notes. And then yep. what if we have what if we do have this like event that we want something custom made or you know, send our husbands to you or whatever? Like how do you is there like a do you work with people? Um no, probably just local. So you it's funny, you actually just you mentioned Andra before we got online. And I'm actually just sent her her husband's suit they're going to i think the amalfi coast Mm -hmm. we did the entire fitting over zoom and we did my word i've been keeping it very hush hush (laughs) um but i sent out her final product today so i am going to start dabbling more in virtual fittings because you know your way around a tape measure like Mm -hmm. i'm not 
this isn't for everybody. Um, but, yes. Um, yeah. So um, I, I will start to do a little bit more in the virtual fittings, um, but I do want it to just be like more of an experience. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. the talk. So yeah, Instagram at Bard's Clothing. Um, you can go to bardsclothing.com. Um, and then really just Instagram is my main way of talking, even just DMing. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that's all, it's, it's me. I don't have a marketing manager. So when you message, it's going to be me who sees it and responds. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. Yeah, I try to keep Perfect. that. Okay, well, yeah, I'm serious. We'll get you back for um, telling your story through your branding and yeah, part two. So we'll get this one out there first. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And if you're feeling really generous, leave a review. Thanks, everyone.